0: Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your host, Dr. Chrissy Rankin,
1: physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy.
2: And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist certified lymphedema therapist and yoga teacher.
1: We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey.
2: Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United
0: States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started.
1: Hello, ladies. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, morning, everybody. We thought today we would talk about the things that happen in pregnancy that we never seem to hear about until they're happening to us. And if there's certainly some things that if I had known, maybe I would not have some of the problems I have today. And, um, so the first one we wanted to touch on was constipation in pregnancy. And, um, I love research and I love when I went to look at the research in preparation for this discussion, a lot of it is to prove that, yes, there's constipation during pregnancy, but you can just ask any pregnant woman just about, I think, and they are going to, um, they're going to say, oh yeah, that's, that's a problem. So, um, For me, I did not know that you should not strain um, when having a bowel movement. And so I created hemorrhoids for myself, Um, but constipation in in general leads people to strain. So it's not just being pregnant, but, um, and also people who, are constipated prior to getting pregnant will tend to have more problems during pregnancy Mm -hmm. as well. So
0: part of that, if we want to talk about the physiologies with the hormone changes, it tends to slow down the gut motility anyway. Um, So like you already have that to combat. And then yes, if you have IBS or constipation or whatever it may be after or beforehand, Then yeah, that just kind of amplifies it even more. Yeah,
2: it's the um, Mm -hmm. the increase. It seems to be the increase in progesterone, um, which I think increases a lot, especially in the second trimester, um, that decreases the smooth muscle muscle activity, so that your uterus doesn't contract, um, so so that you can keep the baby in. But then, of course, that's going to affect all the smooth muscle in your body including the smooth muscle in your gut so then you're not getting that like uh, motility that you're saying to help push the poop out um what was really interesting for me because i'm pregnant i'm in my third trimester and i have a history of constipation before pregnancy um my gut, my bowel movements actually got better during the first and second trimester. And I don't really know why, but I have heard other women say that (laughs) I think it's the, um, the increased energy and increase in warming energy during pregnancy for me that helped. But then at the end of the second trimester into the third is when I started to, I think, feel the effects of the more progesterone. Um, and I started to get more constipated and also the increased weight, um, And on my pelvis, and the increased swelling, which is another topic we'll talk about, um, and just pressure in general, like on the pelvic floor seems to be um, part of it. I've always struggled with hemorrhoids, so like that the swelling seems to have just gone to the pelvic floor and like the rectum, which I think then it's harder to use those muscles, um, to poop, like what, and with the swelling. So that's kind of in a nutshell, what I think is happening in my body and probably a lot of other um, women as well.
1: So what might we advise women to, to, um, do to avoid the negative consequences of, of, um, constipation, one. Oh, I, but I have to say, too, you know, when you talk about how things worked better in your mm-hmm. first two trimesters, just how hormones so much affect um, bowel or function in the digestive tract, you know, just having your period can throw off any routine that you might have yeah, in your like bowel habit. Before
2: habits. your period, when the progesterone drops, then a lot of people actually lose stools. So,
0: I think when it, like if we're gonna go in that direction of like that avoiding constipation, I think I mean if you can address anything before conception, that would be you know a place to start making sure that um, that gut health, you have an understanding of your gut health mm-hmm. and understanding what is normal for you and what if gut health is less than ideal, then how can we improve um, the motility and the ability to get stool out? Um, so I think if you are able to do that beforehand, that would be a place to start. Um, but, you know, a lot of us can't plan perfectly like that. So um knowing that there are tools out there after conception and during pregnancy to help is also is important too. Yeah.
1: yeah. There are some basic things to do for gut health and regular bowel function. And they're so basic that we think, oh, that can't help. Mm-hmm. And I think one is routine and realizing that normal – uh, bowel emptying happens first thing in the morning or 30 minutes after a meal. But oftentimes we're like in a hurry, jumping out of bed, got to get somewhere and um, eat, eat in the car maybe. Um, so actually just slowing, slowing it down and taking some time mm-hmm. to eat can uh, and digest. Like sitting afterwards, giving your body some time. To digest mm-hmm. uh, is helpful. I, th- I think um, recognizing that water is yeah. <laughs> a miracle drug <laughs> and getting yes. enough water. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, and with the added heat, like right now, it, that's yeah. a challenge.
2: I find like having to get a enough. big glass of water with maybe some lemon first thing in the morning and then I just like that's my routine like wake up get some water sit down and drink my water it's a good time to get water in and then it's that like nice routine in the morning that might help stimulate things
0: yeah Yeah. I you can also combine that with movements so and it doesn't have to be an intense workout it could be any type of movement but stretching light walk you know with drinking water and and sometimes too with mm-hmm. warm liquid you know warm water or tea can get things moving too so all of that those three things are the easiest way yeah. to
1: kind of get things going and thinking of it as a piping system and taking the pressure off the pipes in the place that it, places that might get kinked so as baby grows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That things have to slip around and that's why keeping a soft stool is going to be helpful. And that means getting enough fibers okay. as well as enough water, um, that, so, you know, uh, side, side lying and, uh, hands and knees and, um, a down dog mm-hmm. type position, uh, to, to, Change the, where the pressures are on your innards, uh, so that stool can slip yeah, through yoga the curves. Is really
2: great for that. Like even like open twists um, or gentle inversions like Down Dog. Or if you're more advanced, you can. There are some more inversion practices, and even like gentle back bends to kind of like open, kind of lift and open um, your pelvis from the front. I found helpful. Um, I also found too, like a lot of times constipation and the, all that downward pressure can lead to like tension in the pelvic floor muscles, which is then a vicious cycle of, of when, like a lot of tension. Then it's hard to, harder to relax. Um, so if that's true, I don't think I'm doing my own like pelvic floor self treatment which if you don't know how to do that, then I recommend seeing a pelvic floor PT to teach you. Um, But using your fingers or like a pelvic wand tool, especially with vibration, if you have swelling in there, I found that that really helps like reduce the pelvic swelling and and tension, which then is is helpful for
1: constipation. Um, Yeah, good point. Because I'm thinking I said we shouldn't strain. And usually when I tell my patients that, that the poo should just slip out. They're all like, well, yeah, well, then that's never going to happen. <laughs> right. um, I remember when I actually first learned that was when I was teaching a class um, because I noticed that constant patient is one of the things that seems to accompany chronic swelling, and that was the class I was teaching about was uh, on the topic of chronic swelling And just reporting my clinical observations and constipation being one of them. And one of the therapists said, well, of course, you know, you shouldn't strain when you have a bowel movement. And actually, that was the first time in my life I'd heard that. Even after I think I was a physical therapist for like 20 years at that point, even in my professional training then and um, my women's health certification, I hadn't heard that. Um, And so that's when I got to work myself Um, there are some breathing exercises in yoga that can help Um, i there's there's one in particular called agnisar that's not recommended during pregnancy but just a panting breath like the um the pumping in and out Mm -hmm. of the abdomen and that would go with the idea of using movement if i'm getting out and going for a walk that's going to create some pumping action in the, in the abdomen. Yeah. Um, And, and the
0: Uh, body potty, right. And the actual, you know, that's that changed my whole poop game (laughs) Uh, because my, I'm a shorter person. So I rarely even able to touch the ground, you know, when I'm sitting on a toilet. So actually being able to, rest my feet on something and be in that squatting position on Western toilets, like it completely change the game. And I have a little bit of a rectus seal and I have to even like lean back even a little bit more to kind of get that right angle for everything. And, and, you know, which might happen during pregnancy too, where that pressure is just kind of changing where our organs are located. So um, that's another good um kind of another way that you can use it to yep. or help with the straining
1: yeah and the squatty potty is a thing that puts your feet up so you're more into a squat position when having a bowel movement
0: yeah and in Amer- at least in America I don't know about other western countries but you know we're tending to put toilets up higher you know because it's hard to get off and on the toilet now for a lot of people so then but then it can help affect our bowel movements. So, you know, that's not a good thing. Either.
1: And I do believe we're having an epidemic of constipation in mm-hmm. our society. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And people just don't know, like they don't, people don't know that there is a normal and we just don't talk about it. Like my mom's here in town this week and we were talking about how we have like similar gut health issues and, you know, she's, you know, blaming herself. And I was like, Oh, we didn't know, (laughs) you know, we had no, no pediatrician talk to us about, well, or asked me, how does your poop look Mm -hmm. today? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, no one ever talked to me. I didn't even know I was constipated until Mm -hmm. grad school, (laughs) you know, like I had no, so it's, you know, it's, it's just amazing how, if we can start having these conversations when we're in middle school, even beforehand, um, and and recognizing it as family members of even kids as you know toddler age like we can we can improve it even at that
1: age and so i think it's just talking about it first before anything else is so important yeah um that brings up a good topic is like how frequent should a bowel movement be um and Normally, we should have one to three bowel movements a day. And uh, you know what? Before, I didn't realize that I had a constipation problem either. I would go three days sometimes. Some
2: guidelines say like Um, it's normal to have a bowel movement every one to three days. I've seen that before, and I just don't think that's correct.
1: Yes, there there was one. It was a government website too that said once a week is still normal. Um, Yeah, I would feel terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a, you know, the whole joke about being inorattentive, there's a reason yeah. why that joke is there, right? I mean, it's like, it doesn't feel yeah. good.
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, this segues to thyroid. So dur- during, uh, because a hypothyroid during pregnancy um, can contribute to constipation. So um, the thyroid during pregnancy really amps up production. Like in that first trimester, um, and the the fetus doesn't have thyroid, so it gets thyroid from the mom, and it's important for the development of the brain. Um, so we have this the mother's maternal elevated thyroid production during um, pregnancy, and then what um, it's afterward. Um, it may not settle down for some women. And that's where you can um, start with uh, an autoimmune thyroid. And it can happen during pregnancy too. Uh, but um, I can't remember the percentage. It's maybe 1 in 10 or 1 in 20. I know those are quite different. But um, it's in that range that will develop long-standing thyroid problems from being pregnant. And I was one of those. Um, and I had no idea that that was a possibility um, or what to do about it or how to recover mm-hmm. from it. And today, be- thanks to functional medicine, there are some non um hormonal ways that you possibly can get on top of it. Uh, And that's through um, nutrition and supplementation. Now I'm not going to make any recommendations for supplementation during pregnancy. uh, And I kind of feel that eating healthy is a first step anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So eating three meals a day, making sure you're getting vegetables because you know, vegetables have nutrients in them that you're not going to get any other way and that your body needs to, they need, it needs those nutrients in order to function normally. Um, so just making sure you're eating vegetables, you're not going to harm the baby, you're not doing anything risky, and they taste good. You can make them taste good. <laughs> too. Um I think making sure a person is getting enough rest and responding to uh, what's happening within their body. I mean, they're making a baby. Uh, I I think um, women, I suppose we should look from decade to decade, but say like 10 years ago, I don't, you guys tell me what's happening now that uh, the enjoyment of the time of being pregnant is kind of pushed aside because women are maybe holding jobs or they're really busy with whatever they're doing and they are not, they're pushing too hard through pregnancy, trying to be yep. strong. <laughs> Keep that. I'd say that's still, that's accurate. <laughs> Good.
0: One of the, the leading pregnancy uh, registered dietitians, her name is Lily Nichols. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a book um, that is probably one of the most researched books I've read and seen in a very long time. Um, and hers is and now the name is escaping um, ah, me. Shoot, uh, real food for pregnancy. And she also wrote a book for real food for gestational diabetes. And she has a very well thought out plan of how we can use food to affect our hormones and our mood and our gut and and also supporting fetal development and and all that pregnancy involves. And um, I highly, highly recommend that um, book. Um, and also she has a book, uh, her website in general, her blogs, like even her blogs are... 10,000 words, you know, just these amazing essays for free um, that are absolutely amazing. So uh, Lily Nichols, um, L-I-L-Y, and then Nichols is N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Highly recommend um, that person if you're wanting to dive more into nutrition
1: and pregnancy and what that looks like. Um, Yeah, and it's a point that when we're pregnant, you don't want to be taking a lot of medications or um, we want to minimize how much we have to do that way, because we don't know the effects of some things on the fetus. So this is where we default to what we would want to be doing anyway for our health, which is um, lifestyle habits, nutrition, exercise, they are very powerful tools for managing These problems, so it's good to know that um, resource there, and how to how to eat to um, manage those problems. Um, The gestational diabetes and diabetes are a risk factor for autoimmune thyroid problems, too. So, um, and that. Um, leads to the last one, which issue we think, you know, that we decided they're not talking about is um, swelling. Mm -hmm. And during pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Because this is the segue. Um, Problems with thyroid during pregnancy can be a risk factor for preeclampsia, which is um, high blood pressure and it one of the signs mm-hmm. of that is swelling
2: which is interesting because i have low blood pressure
0: so saying that swelling is is not only is only usually addressed when there's potential preeclampsia oh, not yeah. how swelling in a as a, in a non life
1: threatening way like is not addressed mm. right that makes okay. sense mm-hmm. And and if addressing it, would it prevent the onset of the bigger problem, you know, the preeclampsia later, if you're addressing your swelling? I don't know enough to say. but
0: I think part of it, too, is um, like we know in pregnancy that weight gain is normal and people just assume that the weight gain is un- it's not pathological and and, and in reality like swelling in general is without another diagnosis attached to it it's not necessarily pathological it's just a sign of that your body is at capacity and we're sometimes pushing beyond it so Mm -hmm. um but I think part of that could be the discussions that we're having with our friends and medical providers and our family about weight gain and weight in general and people not realizing the difference between weight gain because of a caloric imbalance versus swelling and how it is so different. Um, and it's addressed differently too.
2: Yeah, that's very true. Mm -hmm. So I'm dealing with swelling like significant. Well, I think it's significant. Someone else might look at me and not notice it (laughs) really unless I point it out. But since I'm so familiar with swelling, I'm really seeing it. Um, and I think that that's where most of my weight gain is, is just fluid retention. Um, I can tell the difference between swelling and fat. But, um, And it's true that it's only talked, really talked about with preeclampsia and, like, high blood pressure. But I think it happens to a lot of pregnant women and because I actually have pretty low, actually too, too low blood pressure sometimes. Um, so I don't know if there's any, like, link... Correlation with um, low blood pressure and swelling. I'd be interested to learn about that. Um, I think, too, what I um, like when women get pain, carpal tunnel syndrome in their hands, I started noticing pain in my hands Mm -hmm. and I didn't make the connection right away because I didn't see the swelling. And I thought, oh my gosh, my hands are like really hurting at night until like two days later. I thought, oh, this is probably the start of some minimal swelling before I can actually see it. Um, and then, yeah, I started to notice the swelling. So tunnel. Interesting. Yeah. I think like fatigue too, like body fatigue, like at the, at the end of the day, your legs are just feeling like heavy or um, more tired. I, I noticed a difference when I started wearing compression, compression socks. Um, made a big difference, especially compression leggings. Um, what else about that? Oh, it's also like the heat of the summer, so I think definitely on hotter, more humid days, it definitely makes it worse than the cooler days. Um, So that's also a factor. Yeah. And I think the treatment mm-hmm. is just a lot of like your typical strategies for managing swelling um i think yeah i don't know compression exercise i think swimming in cold water has been really effective for me um
1: Mm -hmm. yeah well and if you can find someone who does manual lymph drainage yeah you know, manual lymph drainage is the number one referred physical therapy modality in Europe. Oh, wow. And um, I just think more people need to know it. But to, you know, how much um, medical costs would be reduced if women who were experiencing swelling during pregnancy got manual lymph drainage? There's a research study for you.
2: Yeah,
1: Absolutely. But you can do, you know, like the dry brushing. Um, yep. And you're, I agree with you. Everything you would do for swelling non-pregnant, you would, you know, treat it. Right. Because <laughs> uh, later in life, I mean, allowing that swelling to continue now, what does that create later in life?
2: Mm-hmm. And... Varicose veins.
0: And well, maybe, maybe we should, like, step back for a second and maybe talk about what swelling looks like and how mm. how do we I guess diagnose it and and why it's important. So yeah. I think maybe like stepping back here for a second and kind of really talking about what does swelling, like physiological swelling look like? And I mean, a lot of us know, like what a swollen ankle looks like, or what a swollen, like hand looks like after an injury, but what does global swelling or swelling
1: regarding your lymphatic system look like? Well, um, that's a good question. And I would have to say in the training to treat swelling is where I developed my eye for it. And I repeatedly hear that from other therapists as they go through the training. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me that many people don't know what it looks like in their own body. And it might start with what you feel like the aching in your hands. Yeah. Jenna. But uh, um, I had what was probably swelling in my knees and that presented as knee pain and nothing was diagnosed, uh, you know, visited the doctors and x-rays looked fine at the time. Um, and now knowing what swelling can look like, I realized that I have swelling in my knees. Um, so you might have some pitting. That means if I press into the tissues and hold my finger, for 30 seconds and take it away, the, the tissue should bounce back. And if it doesn't bounce back, if it leaves a mark, then that's a sign of swelling. Um, that's another way. So we said some so- soreness around the joints, uh, pitting edema, um, the sense of heavy and tired in a limb. Um, Sock mark. Those those are some of the. I think the pitting.
2: It also was like the marks from your socks leave a mark.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And and the the question that is good too, Chrissy, is why is this important? Because it it often is treated like it isn't a big deal, uh, because it's not going to kill you. It's not a medical emergency in itself. Um, But in my estimation, it's not optimal health when your body is not able to remove the, the fluids from the tissues. And when the, um, Interstitial fluid, it's called the fluid that sits in between your tissue spaces, is allowed to linger there. It can start to cause some inflammation, um, say, or you know, fibrosis, um, uh, which can lead to stiffness in the joints over time. And in pregnancy, it's also treated like, well, it's. As soon as you're done being pregnant, it's going to go away. Um, but I would rather not have my pregnancy be the kickstart <clears throat> for problems later in life. Or, um, and so I want to treat anything that's less than optimal.
0: I think that's a great like segue to... Into... Validating what postpartum depletion looks like, and that yes, it's expected to have some some depletion, like because you're fatigued and hormones are changing like crazy, and if you're breast or chest feeding, then that's. Um, is gonna change things too. But there is a normal amount of fatigue and depletion. And then there's the pathological, like which is what we're talking about again, that you know, if we have these things in pregnancy and then we just discredit our symptoms postpartum as, well this is just normal during postpartum time and it's not gonna get better until my child is out of the house, you know, kind of a thing, then then we're leading into like chronic fatigue syndrome and thyroid issues and gut health, like all the stuff that we just actually just talked about. You know, yeah. so it's like a full circle moment. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's one of the things about learning to treat swelling and treating swelling is becoming aware of how it is at the root of many, many, many illnesses. And um, one of my teachers, um, Professor Weissletter, who wrote the book on lymphedema, said. All illness starts as stagnation in the tissue, and that's what swelling is, stagnation in the tissues. Um, So you're giving a foothold to disease processes, Mm -hmm. who knows what. And um, why go there? (laughs) Treat it preventively. So those are the things that that I could think of, there's probably some others that mm-hmm. that, that happen during pregnancy that we're just not told about. Um, I think probably in to a final point about swelling in pregnancy is epidural. <laughs> After epidural, women can have a significant amount of swelling in the legs. That's not expected. You don't think that's going to happen. And Yeah. Again, they'll say, oh, well, that'll go away in a few days, but you know, like some help to move that along is not a bad idea.
0: Yeah. That's like, out of all of this, you know, and this, we could make this a conversation about the bigger picture about, unfortunately, our healthcare doesn't support pregnant and postpartum people to begin with. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that all just will go away. Well, if I have something, a tool to help me feel more comfortable and more able, capable to take care of this new life, then why don't we support people to have that opportunity? And I and I just you know, that's a whole nother conversation that needs its own episode of communication about because it can get so passionate about that. But it's again we're we're still just Well we just gotta suck it up you know, kind of it will it will go on its own and you're like, but I also want help. I just I hopefully one day it will that will change, that narrative will change. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think you're seeing it with um like postpartum doula.
0: Yeah. 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 Well doula's in
2: general are so fantastic. And also midwives too. Like I have a really great midwife team and every time I've brought something Mm -hmm. up like swelling they immediately are like, okay, are you doing compression? Are you, you know, get some lymph drainage? So there are some practitioners out there that are more knowledgeable, and I think they tend to be the midwives and the doulas. So I can't imagine what it would be like if I didn't (laughs) have that kind of support.
1: Well, one thing that I think is a misconception in the United States is that doctor medical care, is better for pre- a normal pregnancy, that, that it's the top of the heap for skill. But midwifery in a normal pregnancy is probably better care because they spend more time with you. They are giving you information. Um, medically, they tend to wait until you ask with a problem. And so you don't even know what to ask about you just go in, they ask you, how are you doing? I think I'm doing okay. All right, keep Mm -hmm. it up. Um, And I mean, this is historic, too, because I I did in my doula training, um, it was brought up how in the United States, they kind of vilified um, midwives for a while and pushed them aside and doctors took over. Well, I think it's time for the rise of the midwife again, simply because Um, it's not affordable to have medical doctors do all the delivery and it's not necessary. Yeah.
0: And and I think it's, I forget which doctor this was, and it was a French physician. And the name is escaping me right now, but, you know, he viewed pregnancy as a pathology to treat. Mm -hmm. And so for some reason, that pathology to pathology to treat turned into the global standard or maybe the western standard i should say the western standard and that's why we use the laying on your back with the legs and the stirrup because you know you're it's more accessible for medical providers to give care to the disease that is happening to you right Mm -hmm. i know that's a harsh like common you know commentary but know there was a huge shift when that happened and the medicalization of pregnancy despite thousands and thousands of years of midwifery in whatever form culturally it was in right and
1: so why did that happen and i was very disappointed when i took a i took a course on pregnancy in the physical therapy um curriculum for the women's health and i won't say where or who but they were so wanting to stick with evidence based practice that when they talked about birth position they said the McRoberts position was the best position for birth based on really? research and that's the one flat on your back with your legs in your in the air yeah. and i'm like in a second <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like anatomically you're just locking up the SI joint you're making the baby go uphill to exit More It just tearing it doesn't make logical sense yeah. Um, and, but you, it, you can, as I like research, uh, and yet that was a flawed study. Um, it was made it easier for the, for the people delivering over the, the mother. Um, I suppose if there is a problem happening, um, That's the position that they need to be in, but it can cause so much harm to the pelvic floor. And and you look at the acceleration of C-section, which is related to the acceleration of medical
0: interventions Mm -hmm. as well, right? It's not a guarantee. It's not guaranteed that if you have medical interventions to help move labor on, that you're guaranteed to have a C-section, but unfortunately that
1: story is told a lot in our office yeah. yes uh may, so l- maybe um let's make that a segment too to talk about delivery itself
2: mm-hmm. i was thinking that yeah think that's a great idea. the difference between hospital births and home births and interventions midwife versus ob there's a lot we could talk about there
0: yeah yeah and just education regarding what right. those terms mean and having informed consent and you choosing the best option not out of fear but out of what actually works best for you is is important too yeah
1: um yeah phew well i think we covered that topic yeah yeah Yeah. good Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions P-L-L-C. That P-L-L-C is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.